Welcome to Be More Super the Podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we're joined by another awesome guest. She is an award-winning director, writer and actor. It's Lisa Rose Snow. Lisa, welcome to the show, my love. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And how is everything over where you are? Canada? Are you are you in Can- Canada. Canada right now? Oh, do you know what? It's the one place I've always wanted to go to is Can- Canada. It really, really is to see the mountains, the mountains um you know and watch the ice hockey uh but i've never actually been yeah. over but you came over <laughs> yes, before we wow. before we chat uh you came over um in december just gone if i'm right in saying yeah. from your social media you went to the cotswolds over christmas oh, how yeah. how was that it was it was so 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 beautiful cotswold is magic i've been trying to manifest myself getting a directing gig there ever since that now i'm in love <laughs> My because husband we... is um, from Hertfordshire. Okay, yes, very nice yeah. part of the country. Uh, I mean, where I where I live here, uh, I live in a place called Mansfield, and right next to mm-hmm. me, you've got Haddon Hall um, that they filmed uh, a bit of Harry Potter. They filmed uh, the Princess Bride. Um, mm. They filmed loads of stuff around here because it's Derbyshire in the Peak District. But no, the Cotswolds, yeah. very, very nice. And going for Christmas must have been magical. It was. It was. And, you know, it's it's a lovely temperature in December in England compared to Canada. Uh, I, I felt like I was like on a tropical vacation. I was like bopping around <laughs> with just my one little jacket, not all my underwools, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it was. A wonderful time a wonderful um, time and it um, was like we got there just as omicron started so we saw little and then we hunkered down for the rest of the trip bless you bless you i mean i'm um, mm-hmm. thank thankfully it's literally um done one now in the uk it's still present um but now now the panic is all about the monkeypox, which is uh, yeah. apparently we can't win can we we really can't but oh. you know what Thank goodness yeah. for great content on the screens. But before we chat about your career, like I normally ask my guests, the last two years have been challenging to say the least. Um, how have you kept positive and how have you kept mm. moving forwards over this time? Mm, yeah, that's a good, that's a really great question. I think um, in terms of the positivity, I think, you know, taking it, day by day, sometimes moment by moment. Um, I always try to try to lean into the flow of life. And I have my little toolbox of positivity, my meditations, my yoga, all of the things that I do to keep myself um, in good vibrations on a normal day. I think that that's just been amplified by pandemic times. Uh, I think so. One of the things that the pandemic did give me is a little bit of a permission to slow down a little bit. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to always be hustling, always be working. Um, and I think I, I allowed myself a little time to just exist, you know? Um, but we were closed here in Toronto from March till August. 
However, um, I did direct a show in May 2020 from my living room, um, uh, a show for YouTube studios that all all took place on Zoom. All the actors um, were in their own homes. They were their own camera people. Uh, it was it was a wild experiment in resiliency. That was called um, lockdown. It was it was a really fun project, sort of like a rear window type show for for teens. Um, so even though the whole world was kind of shut down, I I still was able to do a little bit of a directing gig, which was really um, which was really wild and um, pretty fun. And Zoom definitely became the centre of our whole lives, I think. And uh, But it, you know what? It's really nice to see how many people adapted over those times. I mean, did you learn any new skills while you were off? Did you learn any new hobbies? Yeah, you know what I did? I did um, embroidery, <laughs> needlework. Uh, I feel like it's... I, I don't know. I think I just was like... I can do this. My my grandmother used to do it a lot. I, I feel like generations and generations of women in my family have done it uh, in the past. And so I just sort of picked it up and started making projects and had a lot of fun with it. I haven't done it in maybe a year. And then, uh, so I did that. And then I also baked a lot, but I, uh, I'm a big baker regardless. Uh, it, though it's a little bit harder when it was just me and my partner in the house so I was doing all the baking and he was doing most of the eating and then eventually it was like okay we gotta we gotta rein in the baking a little <laughs> <laughs> never rain in For the bacon baking's good yeah baking's good. um so obviously I mean this this time has been really you know crazy for for the industry I mean do you think mm. that this is going to have a knock-on effect uh, going forwards for the next few years within the industry I think I think that you know some of the advantages of um of prepping at home some of some of the at home stuff might stick um i think so there's some positives there in terms of like you know having meetings and that sort of thing um a lot of those are virtual and have stayed virtual and there is you know that does open a lot of doors um, you get meetings with people, you know, like I've been taking meetings in Los Angeles, that sort of thing, which um, in the past would have only kind of happened if I had actually been in the city versus getting to do it from um, my own desk. So there are some some real positives. I think I think the thing that it really showed was just how important content is. You know, people mm -hmm. turned to TV and movies and podcasts to really you know find some joy or escape the, their circumstances and uh you know that's really validating and it, it was especially interesting you know some of the government rhetoric around who is essential and what jobs are essential and mm -hmm. what's an essential worker and what that means and you know the arts were not included in that and yet um it was a lot of what people turned to to deal with it so you know it was like it, it, you know it, it the, the amount of comfort and joy that people took in um, content creation, um, I think, I think is is essential. <laughs> mm, no, no, it is. It's completely essential because there was a time when I think everyone was panicking that nothing was being made, so we would have to um, yeah be stuck with reruns. Um, so you yeah. know, from a very young age, did you always want to you know have a career 
in the end and entertainment industry i mean did you always want to be an actor or a director when you was a small wee wee girl yes yes indeed i always i, I started by wanting to be an actor um I think I was maybe five or six. My parents took me to see a, a theater play. And I can just remember turning to them and being like, is this someone's job? And they were like, mm, yes. <laughs> and so they started enrolling me in um, like little acting classes and like little theater schools. And I really pursued that for a long time. And I think uh, a lot of the reason was that I didn't see myself reflected in, in writers or directors. You know, I, certainly knew of directors like Spielberg and, and George Lucas and Scorsese, that sort of thing, but never, I didn't have uh, personal access to seeing female directors. So I didn't know that was a thing. And then the first, the first time I remember seeing a female director was uh, Sofia Coppola um, with Virgin Suicides. But even that to me, like, I was like, oh, it's because she's a Coppola. Like, that's how she's a director. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not available to someone like me. Um, and so I think that for myself, uh, you know, I, I like, I try to be very visible as, as a director and as a writer, just to show people that <laughs> they can do it as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's shocking uh, that you were saying that about being a female d director, and that's still happening now. I mean, you know how do we change that how do we because because at the moment we're seeing quite high profile um women directors especially like with wonder woman and and films mm -hmm. like that which is fantastic but why do you think it is a struggle for women to you know to have that representation and 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 get out there and actually get the jobs directing i mean is the industry that bad still I mean, yeah, patriarchy is real, right? Um, I think that there have definitely been some strides. Um, there's really, you know, really great work happening, you know, with the Gina Davis organization um, and the Reframe Project. Um, there are lots of, lots of people that are looking into it. In Canada, we have uh, an organization called Women in View, um, which is one of the reasons that I got my, which is the reason why I got my, uh, first directing gig, I they had a, a pilot program for a few years where they took three women directors from across the country and gave them a shadowing opportunity on a television show, and then they got one episode of that show to direct. So it was a real, a real pipeline, and um, all of the women that have gone through that program are are still very much working directors. It, it was it was really wonderful. So so there is there are shifts happening, um, but it. It is still definitely an uphill battle. It's still mm. it is still very challenging. And then you know, and then when you factor like people of color, like women of color, that it, it gets even harder, and the numbers mm. get even smaller, especially um, especially for Indigenous women. So it, there's still still a lot of work to be done. And you know, it takes it takes the people at the top, it takes the decision makers mm. to to actually um, use their power you know, put their money where their mouth is and not just do optics, but actually, actually give opportunities and support to, to women. Mm. I mean, looking at your IMDB, so you started your career uh, acting, and then you went on to, you know, a lot more writing and directing. What was the catalyst mm -hmm. for, for moving from acting to writing and directing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, 
I, I, you know, I always wrote in the sense that I was writing like little plays, like my, my parents always laugh and my aunts and uncles that I used to charge them a quarter to uh, watch my plays in the basement. When they came over for dinner, I'd hustle everyone downstairs and like make them give me my quarter and then like do very <laughs> long plays that I'd created that they would have to sit through. Um, and then I was always journaling and, and writing. And um, I think I, for me, it, it came out of theater originally. I started writing um, plays. I did um, an amazing uh, workshop through a company in Calgary here in Canada. Um, it was called a performance creation lab through one yellow rabbit theater. And that was basically a month long intensive where you developed a, a one person show uh, that you had to also write. So I started, that was my first time writing. And then I remember one of the, one of the instructors in the program came up to me at the end of it and was like, you know, you're a writer. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm a more of an actor, and they're like, he's like, yeah, but like, don't give up on the writing thing. And so then I started, sort of like, really took that to heart and, and started writing more and doing um, plays. So I had written a play that I also starred in, um, that that um, did quite well on the Fringe Festival circuit, and then got picked up by um, uh, a theater festival to develop further. And then I had a friend who was doing a film program as a producer and they said, they, they came to me and said, you know, um, do you think you could write a short film? Um, I need, I need a script for this, this program I want to do. And I was like, yeah, I think I could do something like that. Sure. And so I sort of just like came up with like, I was like, what about this? I sent them a little script and they were like, they're like, we absolutely love it. Um, and, and I didn't quite realize at the time that as the writer of the piece, I would also have to do the program. So then all of a sudden I found myself in this um, film program uh, and through a series of events, the person that we had on board to direct it ended up, um, we ended up not being able to, to use him. So I, I directed it and, and it was just like, it, it was wonderful. It was so fun. And there was a, I, I had a feeling, I just had this instinct that something might happen with the director. So I reached out to um, a, a director friend of mine who had a television series in production and asked him if I could be his director shadow. My, my dear friend, Tom Fitzgerald, really, really amazing director, writer, creative. Um, and he very graciously was like, yep. So I, I ended up doing three months director uh, shadowing him on his project. And then, in fact, it happened that I was going to be directing the short through that program that I had written. And and then I did it. And I think it was like, you know, it was one of the most magical things I've ever shot. And I, I think that possibly came a little bit through my own maybe ignorance, you know, like I was just like, I'm like, OK, I'm going to do the best I can. Here we go. And and then it turned out really well. And um, that little short played all over the world. It competed in some, some big um, programs and it sort of led me on my journey um, and really when I step behind the camera it really solidified that that's what I should be doing um, and like I still I was gonna say I still kind of act I mean I don't really but I could you know if someone's like mm -hmm. here here's a part that you can play I'd be like great and I would do it <laughs> but you know the, the the Toronto actor hustle uh, that's not quite what I'm interested in these days so it was it, it it sort of all happened 
kind of in a in a flowy way that I certainly never imagined. Um, if you would have asked me when I was ten if I was going to be a like you know a, a TV director, I would have been like, what? Like like I wouldn't have even <laughs> been able to fathom that. But if you ask me now, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that is what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, how how difficult is it to to get gigs? I suppose as a director, because I know actors they audition, but do you have to sort of uh, you know present something to get the work or do you get approached i can't fathom it yeah no. I, I, yeah yeah honestly it's brutal it's so hard it's so hard there's a <laughs> there are a lot of directors you know um oh uh, yeah you know i i think that's like i somewhat naively left being an actor i was like oh now like now i don't have to worry about rejection all the time and it's like no yes you yes you still do um, I, I imagine the, there comes a point in a career where, uh, do I imagine that? I, I'm hopeful that there comes a point in life where one doesn't have to um, constantly be rejected. But no, I think, I think that that's part, I think that's part and parcel to the creative life. I mean, I often, most of the projects I direct um, will usually come through my agent. Sometimes uh, I'll meet people or producers or, showrunners at events or you know just just through being a part of the industry and then and then they'll ask me to interview so usually how it works is um you get uh if it's first season usually you get a couple scripts um if the show is already established um you might you might get some episodes to watch or you might just have to find the episodes yourself and then yeah then you do an interview so you go in and they ask you you know what do you think about the show what do you think about like what 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 themes come up for you depending on the genre the the last things like you know how would you shoot this to make sure it's super funny or you know specific things like what's your experience with visual effects can you direct children have like have you ever directed any like big kind of personalities or celebrities you know depending on what the show is and, and what the show needs um, you sort of discuss that, and then, yeah, then if they like you, I guess you get it, or or sometimes maybe there's more factors. Oh, my cat mm. is my cat's gonna maybe make an appearance on this podcast. Oh, it's fine. So I, you know. I I I've got four cats, and they're they're around some somewhere. Literally, if it was up to my wife, we would have more cats. Um, oh. but four's enough. Oh, bless. Do you know what? Yeah, I did he's a po- eighteen. Eighteen. That's such a good. 18. Oh, look at that mustache! <laughs> that is an awesome mustache. He never ever is on the desk with me unless I'm on a Zoom. As soon as there's like a possibility that someone could like see him, <laughs> there he is. It's like clockwork. He wants he wants his own show. That's what it is. Give him his own show. Bless. So I mean, obviously, I mean, being a director, what makes for a good director? Because you hear all these horror stories of directors, and I'm not going to name names because it's all in the press. I mean, from your point of view, what makes for a good director? You know, there's so many factors that go into it. I think, for me, I think it's starts with kind and compassionate leadership. I think I think that those kind of good vibes trickle down from the top. And I think, you know, making a film, making a TV show, it really is a community. And, and you have to empower 
the members of the community. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes when people's egos get in the way, when they're like, I'm the director, it's up to me, that, that's where things really start to fall apart. Um, I think a good director, you know, relies on their teammate and teammates and they don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You know, at the end of the day, yes, you have to make the, the decision. So there is a level of decisiveness, but mm. you know, like I, I hope that I am never in the room that the biggest VFX expert, for example, like I know VFX, I use it, but I don't want to, I don't want to know the most out of it. I want my VFX supervisor to know more than me. And I really want to work with them to get the best story possible, you know? And I, I don't know. I think some, some people can just be real jerks and it's a, it's a high pressure industry. <laughs> there's a lot of time, there's a lot of money, but I just think that kindness, kindness goes a long way. And, and like, yeah, you, you know, you can't be everyone's friend, but there's a difference between being kind and compassionate and still, still getting your vision across and, and, and being a jerk and getting the same thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, the way I look at it is that you're the conductor of an orchestra and you want yeah. to make sure that everyone is doing their best job possible. And if they're not, I suppose that you've got to be a bit stern. I mean, I, th I think a lot of these directors that have been spoken about in a bad way, it's a bit like having a manager at work. You may not like your manager, but he gets the job done and he gets the best yeah. out of you, even if you don't like it or not. Um, but I don't think I could be any good at that because literally I'm a people pleaser. I just want to be liked all the time <laughs> and I couldn't be horrible. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah so I mean obviously we talk about um, you know you mentioned directors earlier on I mean what directors were influential to you and why when starting out when starting out I was definitely I mean I definitely still am inspired uh, like Steven Spielberg uh, and Wes Anderson Wes Anderson for me was the big one I think I think the first time probably the first thing I of his I saw was Royal Tenenbaums and it was just visually so exciting and so different than the kind of content that I was used to you know I don't like I I'm not like a huge cinephile like I know some people that like know have watched every movie and like they've seen all the Criterion collection and they know all the Oscar winners forever you know and I'm not that person I love movies and content and tv and watch a lot of it but especially when I was getting started I, I had a, a more limited um library let's say and so for me Wes Anderson was was very out there and of course now as as my tastes expand I see that there are people that are even more out there you know and mm. very different but for me like he really like the symmetrical framing the overhead <laughs> shots the color palettes like very very inspiring and I think you can see a lot of his influence, especially in my my early work. Mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, with with di di directors, believe it or not, you're the second director I've ever had on this show. The first director wow. was Randall Kleiser, the guy that uh, directed okay. Greece and Flight of the Navigator and and everything like like, like that. I just think it's a such a, a you know a, a great job, and I think that sometimes people need to focus on the hard work the shots and the art of the films and talking about projects one project um i i need to watch this but we don't get lifetime 
in the UK. Mm. And um, I had Sean uh, Hart, uh, Ahmed on, on the show yes. a while back. And he features in one of your projects that you directed, which is under the Chris Christmas tree. I don't know if this is one of the pictures from the shoot. Let me just have a look. So I've got one there. I presume is uh, that yeah. from the shoot because Christmas trees and masks, um, you know, so, yeah. so <laughs> this, this, this is a, an awesome film uh, that I, I've, I've read the reviews. Fantastic. I mean, you mm. filmed it in the pandemic or was it just before? Or? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and we what filmed was, it last August. I mean, if you want to tell the viewers and listeners a bit about the film, because it's groundbreaking, um, and I think it's won wonderful, and it's about time. If you could tell the viewers and listeners a bit about the movie. Yeah, sure. So it's called Under the Christmas Tree. So it's Lifetime's first lesbian Christmas movie. So super groundbreaking. You know, I... Um, I'm a queer woman, and all of our... The, the, the leads were queer. There, there was so much... Uh, queer representation on screen and behind screen so it it was just so thrilling to do and it you know it is a very typical Christmas romance but it just happens to be two women so you know Alma um, has a Christmas tree in her backyard that she loves and then Charlie is looking for a Christmas tree to cut down for a state capital um, to put in front of the state capital and so they sort of spar over whether or not um, they can get the tree and you know sparks fly and and i presume this is going to be shown every chris christmas or can people watch it now yeah well <laughs> uh it, it so it premiered last year it premiered this past christmas um in north america and i'm hopeful that it'll it'll hit the uk this year because the the same team that made this made um lifetime's first gay holiday movie the year before uh which was called the christmas setup and that premiered in england this year so i'm hoping that it would sort of follows that cycle and and we get this one over there as well i've uh, a lot of my my family are over in england and they were all um very hopeful to watch it um i don't think that you can watch it i would assume that you can't watch it right now but i would say that it will probably be part of the um christmas canon certainly for lifetime um for the next few years fingers crossed <laughs> and and there's some so, someone in 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 the poster that's instantly recognizable which is ricky lake uh yeah, what was it ricky. like working with uh, the original the og tracy turnblad from hairspray honestly it was fantastic ricky is so wonderful and so sparkly and she's just an absolute delight to be around and it was extra special to have her because she actually hasn't been acting for quite a while. She's um, this is her per first acting project in, in quite some time. She's doing a lot of amazing work um, producing documentaries. She's got two documentaries. Um, one, the one that just came out is called The Business of Birth Control. Uh, and the one previous to that was called The Business of Birth and just some really groundbreaking um really groundbreaking investigative deep dive into um the money made behind women's bodies mm. she's ricky's amazing mm. really amazing and um i've got to say as well sean who was on the show what a character uh, i oh, mean yeah is it quite intimidating uh you know when you're directing having stars like ricky lake or literally is it a case of you just get on with it and and you know 
<laughs> I, I mean, it's definitely, definitely both. Um, uh, yeah, with Ricky, like I was definitely like nervous, but it's also like you don't want like you, you want to be professional, you know? So I like, I definitely have a, like a little fangirl moment and then like kind of rein it in and then have my fangirl moments <laughs> in private when I like call my family. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But then on set, it's like, yes, hello. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. You know, um, I think, uh, I think under the Christmas tree, besides my first short that I was talking about under the Christmas tree for me was, was the most magical experience. Those, those two movies, um, they just like, just everyone was just awesome you know like everyone was kind everyone there was no divas like people just they they came to work they knew their lines they had fun the crew were really great we we never went into overtime you know like it just it was a really smooth sailing mm -hmm. ship and it it was a real joy to do and I think we all felt like we were part of something very special um and I think all those good vibes come out in the movie I, I hope that you do get to see it because Sean especially is, is so, so funny in it. I have him eating in basically every scene. Like every time you see him, <laughs> he's eating, which like looks really cool and is really funny. But also like as an actor is, is quite challenging because, you know, we, we filmed some of those scenes quite a few times. So he's like takes a bite of a macaron and then we do five takes in that setup and then move the cameras and then you do five takes in that setup and then we move the cameras and we do five more takes. So, oh, you know, you, by the end of the, uh, <laughs> and his character's always eating like sweets and stuff. So by the end, the, the last scene, he's like, do you think like, maybe I could be eating grapes or like trail mix? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, 100%. We'll, we'll give you some fruit. Save Lesson. your poor body. I mean, yeah. why why do you think it's taken so long? Why do you think this industry has taken so long to have that representation? Because, you know, having, you know, a, you know, a gay couple as, as the lead in a Christmas movie, personally, I think it's won wonderful. And I, I don't understand why it's taken so long. And we're seeing a lot more, you know, characters uh, in shows like Star Trek Discovery, uh, uh, mm -hmm. with the with the rep representation and ev and everything like that and i think that we need more of it because me personally i think we need to see it as something normal not some some yeah. some something different i mean why do you think the ind industry is so slow off the mark with stuff like that yeah i mean what a great question right uh, i don't know <laughs> internalized homophobia i guess um mm. yeah it's it, you know, change, change does take a while and shows like um, Star Trek, I mean, Star Trek has been breaking barriers mm -hmm. since, since the beginning. Uh, and uh, there is, some, sometimes it feels like genre shows or sci-fi shows have a little more room to be a little, to, to, to show different things because, you know, it's in space or, you know, like one mm -hmm. of them's an alien, you know, like it's almost <laughs> like, it gives a permission um, to push the boundaries. And sometimes, you know, conservative mainstream media is a little more slow on the uptake. So I think that there are, I think that there are, I, I do think that we are moving in the right direction, but there certainly is, is, is so much room to go. And, and again, there's some really amazing organizations that are, um, you know, really shining a light on that, uh, on it. Like, like glad glad is, such 
an amazing organization and uh, and we got um we got nominated with under the christmas tree for a glad award this year and honestly it's the the the, the biggest honor of my career thus far to, to get that recognition from them I, I think they're doing such important work and um it, it just I, I think there's still a lot more work to be done but i do feel like we are we are moving in the right direction though sometimes especially when you see some of the politics um coming out it it, it's still very scary. It's still very hard. There's still a, a long way to go. And it's definitely not the 1940s anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're we're yeah. we're <laughs> we're 2022. I mean, do you think do you think the yeah. change, you know, is down to the writing, uh, you know, coming up with these programs, or do you think it's the studios literally saying, mm, yeah, we'll pass on that. Uh, let's make something else. Yeah, no, it's definitely not the writing. <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there are so many, so many great projects. Again, it all trickles down from the from from the, the studios that the people with the money that are funding these projects, the the studios, the networks, um, the, the decision makers. Um, it, you know, it's it's on them to to put their money where their mouth is. And what would you change if you could have one wish to change something about the industry? What would it be? Mm. I would say my wish would be that um, I would say that my wish would be for it to not be performative for people to do what they say they're going to do because it's right and not because uh, the optics look good you know I would I would switch up <laughs> a bunch of those decision makers and put a bunch of you know, people of color, gender diverse people, just just having the people that make the decisions and call the shots be as um, diverse and representative as as the world that's watching. Mm, mm, definitely, definitely. And and what's the um, one thing you wish you would have known when starting out directing and writing that you do now? What's the one thing that that you wish you would have known? Mm. known? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, that's a really good question. I think I feel like I, I feel like I would, you know, I feel like I don't have any regrets, but I, I guess I would just have a firmer belief that I deserve to be there. I just like that inner confidence and that inner self-worth because like we said you know there's a there's a lot of rejection I just got a heart, very heartbreaking rejection yesterday and so I <laughs> you know it's like sometimes you know it, it's a it's a hard industry and sometimes but it's also so subjective right like mm. people it's just another human making a decision and they're not always going to get it right and just because what they decide you know, it, it does affect me and my trajectory, but it's also not about me. So I think I would just remind myself that I, I have every right to be here and just, just to keep, just to keep working on that resiliency and, and don't let, don't let the bitterness creep, creep in and become stronger than, than the, the, the kindness and the drive. I mean, you mentioned there about that rejection yesterday, but do you feel that yeah. things happen for a reason? Do you think, because a lot of people say that 
they don't believe in regret because they are where they are now because of things that have happened in the past. So, I mean, do you believe in fate? Do you believe in things happen for a reason? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That's like, that's foundational for me. I am definitely very, very into the magic of of it all. Um, and I think that that's the only thing that gets me through is being like, okay, I think there's a saying, um, what's for me won't pass me. So it's like, okay, I have to believe that I have to believe that everything is happening, even though sometimes, sometimes that's, sometimes that's easier to believe. Um, (laughs) And sometimes, you know, it's harder. And I think I, what I try and do is try and have compassionate, compassion for myself. But I also do try and let myself feel the feelings. You know, yesterday I, Got, got, got a bath bomb. I had a nice tub and sort of sort of set in the sad for a little bit. I, I, I don't think wallowing necessarily is helpful, but I think acknowledging like, okay, mm. I feel sad in my body and this is why. And then the sort of self-affirmations um, and meditations on like, this doesn't define who I am. This doesn't mean I'm not worthy. Like I still believe in myself. I believe in my talents. I believe I am here to be a storyteller and maybe this isn't the story that I'll be telling at this time. Um, and I think that helps me. I think in the past I used to, I used to think that not being upset about it and not, and like building up this armor was, was the way to go. And I feel like that actually creates internal sort of resentment that builds and builds and then it bursts. And I would rather sort of transmute the energy and allow it to be and then move through it so that um, I'm not carrying, you know, carrying it with me. Mm. I mean, how do you measure success in, you know, Mm. in your life and career? I mean, is it awards? Is it the work? Is it the home life? I mean, how do you measure success? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great question and one that... um, I am still looking for my final answer. I think though that I think the, 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 my highest self doesn't care about success. I I care about community and I care about storytelling and I care about creative expression. And yes, I would like my Marvel movie. I would like my Oscar. You know, I do want all of those things. Let's be real. Um, However, at the end of the day, you know, if I never get those things, I hope that I can, I I hope that that doesn't make me feel like a failure because it's, it's so hard to make anything. It's so hard. It is hard to be an artist. And for me, I think success comes in, in the joy of the moment versus the acknowledgement because you know there are a lot of things that you can't control even if you film a movie sometimes it doesn't ever get released or you know or someone in it gets canceled so they never show it you know there's so many factors um outside of your control so that it's it's about it is about the community of of creation for me um and i think that's like my high self highest self-expression though you know i'm very human and sometimes sometimes i lean maybe more into the 
the heartbreak and the the, the credits and mm. the the things that I want. But again, even with those things, it's like what's for you won't pass you, you know. So it's like if at, if I am on my deathbed and I have never directed a Marvel movie, I hope I'm not like oh, I'm dying. I've never done this. Like I hope that I can have found my creative fulfillment <laughs> throughout a life well led. Um, um, forget about Marvel, DC movie. You could be the next director yeah. of Man of Steel, you know, or, well, or you, you know. know, or another character. But um, what's been your proudest moment in your career? Because you've done a lot of TV, you've done a lot of writing, you've worked mm-hmm. on a lot of shows. But what would you say is the fondest and most proudest moment in your career so far? Yeah, I mean, really really great question i feel so fortunate and i feel so much gratitude for for my career um thus far i think i think the glad nomination for me i think i'm currently the most proud of like if that just that was so unexpected and it was just the cherry on top of a wonderful sunday you know we because that was that was fun to make I made some really, really, really good friends, um, including Sean, who I'm working with on another project right now, um, and and my editor Gloria, who's just become one of my one of my besties. I I'm just so grateful for for the introduction of her in my life. So there's just so much about that project that was so special, and and especially um, people's reaction to it. You know, it was it was wonderful. I was actually in England when it premiered in. North America. So I was up very, very late. Um, I think it was like from like two till five in the morning or something on Twitter, um, you know, live, live tweeting it just, just from memory. Like as soon as people were tweeting, I'm like, okay, I know exactly where they are. I know what's happening in the movie. I've seen it a million times. Um, so just getting to connect with that audience um, during that premiere was, was so, so special. And just hearing people say that they've never seen themselves um, represented like this before and that they've been waiting you know some people were like I've been waiting my whole life to see myself and and people you know people that love these holiday Christmas movies love them like they love them so beautifully and passionately and to get to be a little part of their world like that was was wonderful and also you know the other proudest moment and it was a very long time ago, but it was when I was accepted into the acting program at Dalhousie University, because that was such a goal for me. Once I realized, like, I knew I wanted to go to university, but I also knew I wanted to be an actor. And then in my hometown in, in Nova Scotia, in Canada, uh, in the city called Halifax, there was Dalhousie University, and they had an acting program. And once I knew that, I was like, that's, that's my path. That's what I want to do. I was so determined. And then I... So at the end of your first year of school, you um, you audition, and then they pick. I think they pick twenty people to be in the the next three year program. And so I had my my classmates. We all you know prepped and auditioned together, and then a bunch of people found out they were in. Like all my main my main people found out they were in, and I still hadn't heard. And I was just so nervous and so like so kind of shook you know I was like oh my gosh what if I don't get this like this is this is my path this is what I'm supposed to be doing and then and then as as luck would have it I was volunteering at a high school drama festival that was uh took place in the same university and 
uh, I like checked my phone. I had like 30 missed calls from my mother. I was like, oh my gosh. And I called and she's like, someone from Dalhousie called from the theater department, but they wouldn't say anything. And because I was there, I sort of was just like, oh my God. So I ran upstairs to the department and like the head of the department was there. I kind of knocked on their door and I was like, hi, I know this is like a little unnormal, but um, you know, I've apparently you called. Yeah, you called. Me. Yeah, and she was like, oh, this is so fun. I never get to do this in person. Like, we'd like to offer you a spot in the program. And it was, it was just so exciting. I remember running down. I remember being very cool with her. I, no, actually, I wasn't cool with her. I left over and hugged her and then left back being like, okay, this is the head of my university department. Like, maybe don't just leap on her desk and hug her. Um, but I was like, thank you. Yeah, so, so thank you. And then I ran out and my best friend, Tom, who had all already been accepted in the program and who had been trying probably to hold back his own excitement over this like big life change because uh because I hadn't heard he was there waiting and I just remember running down the hall and just jumping into his arms and just crying and just like it was like it just it was it was so long ago you know and I I don't even really act anymore but that moment I can still feel in my body you know just just the joy of achieving a goal that I've, I've had for so long and oh, it was so wonderful. Like even talking about it now, like I can feel like my chest <laughs> getting tingly and just feel myself being like, oh yeah, you did that, you know? Oh. And the rest is history. And the rest, is, the rest history is history and you're literally directing shows. I mean, if you had a dream project, okay? So a dream project and you had to cast four people and these are four actors dream actors who would you love to direct and boss about on set oh my gosh really really great question wow what a great question um what a great question oh my gosh i don't even know if i can answer that i mean i can um i think tom hanks was the first person that came to mind i i mean i would just want I just want to know him and mm. talk to him. Um, and just like, so he's so good. Tom Hanks. I'd want to show with Tom Hanks. Oh man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. What a great question. Like I want to direct, I want to direct everyone. You know what? I want to direct people who want to play. I, I have no time for divas. I'm sure in my career that I will direct like, and, and diva, I, I mean that completely genderless, just anyone who just, whose ego is, is bigger than they are. Um, I like, I want people who want to play, who aren't afraid of looking silly. I think that that's one thing I always say as a director to my actors, I'm definitely an actor's director. Um, I always say like, I'm not going to make you look dumb. Like I've got your back. I'm watching you because you ask, you ask actors to do really, really weird things. It's like, okay, uh, so I'm like, the camera's right in your face. I'm like, I need you to hold your head at an angle and, 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 and say your lines like that without like really moving. <laughs> and they're like, mm, okay, sure. And then like, <laughs> it looks good in the frame, but like, sometimes it just feels so weird. And then you're also asking them to be incredibly vulnerable in, 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 in huge sets, you know, like, Sometimes you'll you'll have like 60, 100, 200 people on set and then you're asking them to cry or scream or and, and I always feel like 
it's so obvious in, in dramas that you're asking actors to be vulnerable. But I think that in, I think it's even more vulnerable in comedy because because comedy is often rooted in darkness. You know what I mean? And so yeah. we and we as an audience and maybe as the writers write something that is really funny. But if you're actually the person ex experiencing it, it can be really hard and and terrible, you know, and you're asking someone to go into that place knowing that everyone's going to be laughing at them. Um, and then it's also super hard because sometimes in comedies, people will say something like hysterical that that's going to make a whole room laugh, but like, it's just silent, you know, mm. because you're filming and you can't all laugh. <laughs> I am definitely, mm. uh, definitely have been guilty of that. And under the Christmas tree, there's this one scene um, where there's a psychic and is Connie, uh, Connie Manfredi uh, was the actress and she was so funny and she was improving just a little. And a couple of times I was like snort laughing at the monitor and like, then everyone turns, I'm like, sorry, sorry, my bad. Like I'll, I'll try and be professional and not laugh at the monitor, but it's hard. It's just, people are hysterical, you know? But Tom Hanks, you mentioned Tom Hanks and that guy can do an actor's masterclass. Captain Phillips, um, that one scene when he gets rescued at the end, he doesn't say anything, but literally mm. I had tears rolling down my face. I just felt mm. it in the moment. That guy is just literally magic. He really, really is. And he seems like a very nice man, you know, off camera. Totally. So one when of, I was... So, um, yeah, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, um, when I was very, very young, I think maybe I was like maybe seven or eight, we, my family took a trip to Disney World in Florida, and we went to MGM Studios, um, which was the first time I'd ever like, I mean, I, it's kind of a theme park, but it's still like, you know, a working studio. And Tom Hanks, we did like a tour and Tom Hanks was filming something in there. And like, in my head, I was like, oh, my God, I just saw Tom Hanks. Um, I I feel like I didn't, you know, I feel like they're not going to have people walking by where actually, you know, but he, I, I think I just imagined it and envisioned it and believed it and was just like, was like one of those moments where it was just like, I'm in the same space as Tom Hanks, like, just like I, you know, my little rural Nova Scotia heart, realizing that there was a world in which I could suddenly be transported into the same world as Tom Hanks. And it was just like, it was just like kind of mind blowing. And I feel like that little child still is in me. Like every time I go to LA, I'm like, like just like jaw on the floor, like, oh my God, I'm in LA. Or like if I have like a meeting with, with like a studio or something, you know, you know, some of the big names, I, it's just like, <laughs> I, I can't, I tried so hard to be professional, but I think part of my, part of the package you get when you hire me is that I'm going to be a little bit of a fangirl. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to bring those, that energy. And, you know, I think, I think that really works for some people and it doesn't is, for some. There is for those nothing that wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with that. Cause I went to go and see Hugh Jackman in concert on his one man show. And literally uh, I was man crushing massively. And I was thinking, oh my word, I'm breathing the same air. You know what I mean? This guy is yeah. just there, like the most talented man I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, so one of the last questions, uh, because I'm looking at time and we're chatting away, bless us. Um, Desert <laughs> Island, you've got three films and these three films are literally the only films that you can ever watch ever again. You can watch them over and over mm -hmm. again. What three films would you choose 
to have for the rest of your life? Okay, you are knocking out some hard hitting questions here. I would do Amelie, mm-hmm. the movie Amelie. I would do the film Portrait of a Lady on Fire, one of my, my absolute favorite films, and Antonia's Lines. Okay. You know any of those films? The first <laughs> two, the first two I know. Foreign. The first two. Antonia's uh, Lines. Oh, you got to watch it. It's so good. It's from like 1996. I believe it's, I think it's from Belgium. It's either like Belgium or it's, it's, it's a European film. It won the best foreign film Oscar, uh, I think 1996. And it is about uh, basically a, a rural matriarchal society. And it is delicious. And so ahead of its time, like you will watch it and be like, okay, this could have been made this year. Like it's so aware. Um, But from 1996, it's absolutely beautiful and fun. I love movies that are big hearted. You know, I, I, I want good, I want good to prevail. Mm. And, um, and it takes a while for, you know, you gotta, you gotta get some bad to get the good. And I think all of these movies, well, maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire, less so, but oh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is so good. Plus, it would help me with my French French skills, which you know would come in very handy on a deserted island. Wait a my second. ability to speak so so French. not all Canadians speak French, or is it a case of no, no? Okay, I've learned nope. something. Well, obviously, we, all, we don't all um, speak French, but <laughs> yeah, I think. I think you have to take it um, in school. Like it was like mandated up until uh, our grade nine, it would be called. So until you're about 14, you have to take it. Um, But no, certainly not all Canadians (laughs) speak French. That's for sure. And what's the one film that you, 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 you never want to see again. The one film that you didn't like the worst. (laughs) Um, Oh man, there's a lot of bad movies out there, isn't there? Like there are. Like, there like, are like the film that you watch and and, and you've learned all the mistakes that you shouldn't be making as a director. <laughs> oh. Or can you well, not say that? I think that's a bit. I think that's a bit yeah, mean question like... to to answer because. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. Let's move on because that would be horrible for the director, whoever directed it, wouldn't it? Really, uh, we can start well, like a turf well, that's war. The thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, don't want to start a turf war, but it's it's so hard. It's so hard to to make a movie. There's never enough time, and there's never enough money. You know, so it's like, I, like I get insulted when the story is bad. You know, I get insulted if the story is sexist or racist or homophobic like that to me I'm just like do better um but it's like plays like I feel like it's very hard to make good theater but I respect every time a a show goes up just like I respect every time a movie actually gets made because if you can go from the the writing to the filming to the funding to the to the showing and have a finished piece even if it's terrible just the amount of heart and energy that goes into mm-hmm. that, I think, is always to be applauded, even if, you know, I never uh, watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's next for you? What can 
we expect from you in the future that you're working on that you can talk about? Yeah, so I I can't give any details, but I'm doing a, a really exciting Netflix show coming up. I'm very thrilled. It'll be my first time um, directing for Netflix. Uh, so I absolutely cannot wait for that. And I also have my own series um, that I'm writing based on a, a really beautiful book. Um, so I am very much looking forward to some streamer buying that and then making it and then you getting to see it. <laughs> you know what? I, love, I, I love this part of the interview because literally no one could talk about anything because it's all just full right. of NDAs and it's like, yeah, I'm working on something. Uh, it's coming out soon. <laughs> but we look forward yeah. to it and, and people can follow you on Insta Instagram and Twitter. Uh, which I'll put right. the links at the bottom of this, the bottom of this video, um, and then I'm sure that we'll find out what that that Netflix um, show is yeah. in the near future. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on to the show, Lisa. I had a blast. It was lovely to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, it's really um, fun. And uh, I really enjoyed myself, and I look forward to seeing uh, under the Christmas tree uh, when it eventually comes out in the UK. Uh, because yes. because one last thing, you know, we talk about representation and the gay community, and I think that it's very, very important to have that on screen because, because it's sad to think that there are people out there still not feeling confident confident enough to, to you know, come out of their skin and, and, and live the real them. And, you know, the yes. more we have this on our screens, the more normal we can make it. And, you know more lives and and things that we can potentially save and make it just yes. a, a better place it should be all about love and happiness and butterflies and rainbows and cupcakes as i tell you <laughs> um but yes, yeah well but, thank, said, well said. but thank you so much for everything that you do look after yourself and keep safe yes you too thank you so much what a pleasure You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.